0: Going to a new congregation is always an exciting time. It's always a challenging time as you get to know people and get to know where their hearts are and what God is calling them to do and what God has already been calling them to do before you ever arrived as as their new pastor. It's always exciting and challenging because it has always been our purpose and intent as pastors to lead and teach the people of God in such a way that they would be enabled to do all that God has called them to do. That's a little different In some ways, in any congregation, you go to pastor, but it's also much the same in any church you go to pastor. I know this came as an unexpected call for me when God called me through the bishop and the district superintendency to come and serve as pastor of this church. And after some struggle to discern the call of God, I discerned that it was indeed God's call and that I would do as I'd always done, be obedient to that call through the offices of the church, and so I prepared to come. And when I got here... There are so many wonderful things to observe and be a part of. Such a strong congregation in so many ways. And yet I begin to discern places which indeed I believe God has called me here for you to join with you in enlarging the foundation for your ministry. Many people have asked me as I arrived in in days since, what is your vision for the church? Some have been encouraging me. Uh, As soon as you tell us your vision, which is a subtle way of saying how much longer is it going to be before you tell us your vision... And I, I would continue to say, yes, that's coming, that's coming, I'm still watching the church. Actually, it's already begun, I just didn't formalize it. Today I'm going to be formalizing steps one and two of my vision, and the next four weeks I'm going to be clarifying, clarifying and bringing to clarity exactly what God, I think, is calling us to do as a con- congregation, as a part of the foundations of this church. Begins with your bulletin cover, and I'm going to come back to that later, so have that handy. If you came with a writing pen, good for you. You'll need it. If you didn't, you'll need one next week. What you have is a diagram on the front of the church bulletin this morning that's called a Discipleship Pathway. This is the basis for Foundation Part 2. You say, well, what happened to Part 1? We didn't know we had that. Let me tell you about Part 1. Foundation 1, upon my arrival and as I looked at the church was first of all see what was going well in the church, what was there to assist the church in God's calling. I wasn't here very long after I began to study the numbers and look at the statistics of the church to understand that though we had relocated this church some 10 years ago to this place with high hopes and high thoughts and beliefs, that the church was still had for about 10 years as followed a very small road of almost the same numbers in terms of worship attendance they've been very consistent there's been a little fluctuation but nothing steady that saw the rise of the congregation hence you've never built that other addition you planned to build when you built this whole complex that was the sanctuary hence we still continue to gather here and now we're down to one worship service many things have been tried many pa- one pastor in particular while Richard was here you tried many different things in order to reach out to the community in which you're a part all at the same time establishing firmly some real strengths of this congregation that have been strengths for years in this congregation. Those strengths that I observed and quickly noted and and took note of to not mess up if I could keep food. Just don't mess up anything that's good already. That's a pastor's first law when you go in the church. Don't mess up anything that's good. By the way, not all pastors follow that rule. And it's usually not good results when they don't. So I came here after surveying the congregation, and I quickly knew that I should not mess up what was going on in worship. So I'm trying very hard not to do that. And if I begin to do that, well, please tell me, would you? Because I don't want to do that. I just want to enjoy what is a wonderful, warm, and worshiping congregation. I did not want to bring anything that would be uh, harmful to the idea of Sunday school, where nearly 70 75% of your people are regularly in Sunday school. That's a rarity in the United Methodist Church. That is a strength. I don't want to mess that up. They Also, I noticed right off the bat that this church had a huge commitment to children and youth. And it's made most manifest as youth get older and go off to college and the strength of the ministries that they have. They have been important here for years. You've had a few youth pastors along the way, and through every one of them, you have learned something important. Two of them serving many years here in this congregation to help develop and nurture you through the pathway of discipleship, so that you were able to go out and minister on your own as you left here and went to college. Don't want to mess that up, and we're not going to mess that up. We're not going to mess that up. That ministry will remain strong. The fourth thing I noticed in that that group was that the commitment to world mission and missions in this church is outstanding. The best I have ever seen in any church I've ever been a part of. Don't mess it up, Doug. Don't mess it up. Leave it alone. Support it. Encourage it. Help it grow, but don't mess it up. Now, having said all that, let me just tell you that foundation one, as I looked at the church and saw where I should begin, became very clear to me after about three, four months. And it simply became this phrase, unite all the major ministries of First Church Carrollton. Unite them all. I've spoken about it many times. You just didn't know it was part of the vision, but it is. Let me assure you that one of the things we need to do here and one of the things that is already happening is we are uniting the major ministry entities of this congregation. There is, first of all, the ministries of First United Methodist Church. There is, secondly, CCA, our Christian school, K-12. through There is also... First place, our preschool that has been doing wonderful. There's also our daycare that's strong and supports CCA and first place in its organization. But they were not all meshed together. I heard many stories about times past, more so than in others, where there was a difficulty in communication between the entities. There was a difficulty in all of them paddling the same boat in the same direction. And so right off the bat, I knew that the foundation one, one was to establish a foundation of trust and cooperation amongst the leaders of these four entities. And to bring them together in one mighty organization, institution, I call it the church, so that we might have bold influence all throughout this community through the ministries of this church. I received great support for doing that. From all the major committees in the church, including the church council, they want to see it done. Now, I promise you, that is not easily accomplished where we are right now. If you believe it is easy, I invite you to take a chance to ask Carolyn, leader of the daycare, Jenny, leader of the first place, David, leader of the CCA, and any of the church staff, how easy it is to mesh all of those entities under the same roof. In fact, if you want to know just how hard it becomes, even in this one room, you can go ahead and, and ask Gary as he tries to tear down put this stage back together every time you turn around for the different groups who are using it. It's difficult. It's difficult to work together with that many big and busy entities so that they might be all healthy and profitable for our Lord Jesus Christ and all on a solid basis for handling their funds and being a strong financial institution for the Lord as well. For you see, the Lord is concerned about all of the things we do. Foundation One was clear to me. Bring those all together. So what would foundation two be? Let me tell you a story. It's about a man named Jesus who had a plan. I don't think he submitted it exactly according to the way we submit business plans today, but nevertheless, he had a plan. And his plan was pretty simple. His plan was to grow up and to mature and wait for the calling of God until the time was right. And then when the time was right to submit himself in obedience To the call of God. And so he did so. And as he did that and received the waters of baptism, things began to happen. For his baptism was not symbolic of his remission of sin, but rather symbolic of his identification with everyone who needed the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of sin. And also symbolic of his calling from God to save God's creation. Just like we sung earlier in the song... You know, all that God has done for us, what can we do for God? You know, He's done so much for us, providing us eternity and everything from here to there and everything beyond. And so the question becomes, what is our vision for accomplishing what we're going to do for God? As I've continued to study, and quite frankly, uh, this passage of Scripture is just a good one to go back to, but it also points to one of those things that we need study for, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, actually, we'll talk about it quite a bit next week. But study is not the topic this week. This week, the discipleship pathway, however, is the study. Now, if you have a pen, and you look down at the bottom of that cross down there where the arrows are looping around the foot of the cross, when you see that arrow pointing uh, there, pointing, I think we got that on the wrong, this other drawing I have. Let me just make a quick reference to that. Where is my drawing? Oh, it's back in my seat. No, it's not. It's right here. And we do have to make a change in that. Remind me of that, J.D. But know this. One of the things a church has to do in order to be a disciple, which is what you all are here, 90% of you, if not 100% of you, claim to know Jesus as your Savior, and you're a part of this church or the body of Christ in some important way. The reality is the first act of discipleship that we see witnessed as Jesus engaged the people of his culture, was to call them to follow him. And that act of calling was an engagement, a process of engagement, if you will, that Jesus repeated over and over again. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that when Jesus met Peter and Andrew, they were fishing in a boat, and he called them and challenged them by saying, Come and follow me in a command-type way, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, when you get to John, John doesn't remember it exactly the same way Matthew does, but he does relate to it in a deeper sense when he tells us about these two men who followed Jesus because he was pointed out to be the Lamb of God. And he says, come and see, and they went and stayed with him, and they did. And what happened the very next day? Well, the very next day when they got up and began going around, somebody went in search of somebody else. Somebody went in search of somebody else. And so if you look at this circle in the front of your bulletin, that first quadrant, if you see four quadrants around the, the bars of the cross, in that first quadrant, you should write the word engage. You should write the word engage. At the very crossing of that bottom arrow at the foot of the cross, in big letters there, you should write mentor, mentor, and engage. Yeah, I know I'm really pushing you right now today because right now, if you have one of those fancy that kind of presentations, you know, you'd be able to look at it and just write it down, right? Now I'm actually calling your brain to do two things. Listen and write and even remember. But don't worry, you're going to get a lot of chances to remember it. Next week's bulletin will also come with this week's topic already written in it. And then we'll be adding to that circle for four weeks as we learn together the discipleship pathway. But it begins with invitation as a mentor. By engagement. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. Why? Simple. I, because, it's because I believe that it is the missing ingredient lately for this congregation. I believe we need to lay a f- new and firm foundation in the ministry of engagement. This is not just true in this church, by the way. It's true in Methodist churches and not and mainline denominational churches across the country. The thing that happens when most congregations, when they get together and they form a church, is a lot of their energy gets drawn in. It gets drawn into teaching Sunday school, which is a necessary thing. It gets drawn into planning missions to go around the world and reach people. It's a necessary thing. It gets drawn into raising funds just for the people that are gathered here to maintain worship, which is important needs to be done. And a lot of times, and most certainly true in the last 25 years, the United Methodist Church has failed to be a mission outreach center. When the United Methodist Church was first formed, it was the most aggressive church this country had ever seen. Circuit riders went all over this land, in every county, almost in every town in this country. You can find a United Methodist Church if it hadn't already closed. We were the outreach, outpost center of the Christian faith in this country. Those those circuit riders that Wesley appointed were not afraid of anything. And as soon as people went, so did the circuit riders, bringing the word of God with them. They reached out and engaged their culture and the people around them and would not take no for an answer. They led a rugged life, they died early, they served hard, they flamed out. Fast forward 200 years, times have changed. But the need to engage our culture has never changed because it was a part of the initial plan of Jesus all along. My intent today in laying this foundation as step number two for the vision for this church is very intentional, never fear. In fact, it's so intentional I'm going to promise to do things like follow up. And you say, what does that mean? It has to do with all the other paper on the chancel rail today. I'm looking for a hundred, at least a hundred serious people to help me live out this vision. If you continue to read this scripture, you'll see that Andrew went out and brought Simon Peter to Jesus. You'll see the next day that Philip went out and found Nathaniel and brought him to Jesus. You read through the text and you'll find out that not only was Jesus going to people, but the people who followed him were also going to people. They were actively engaged in inviting people to come and see, to come and follow, to come and learn. A church cannot survive when its people forget they have to reach out right close to home. You know, I'm going to be tacky, not because what they're doing is tacky, but because it's so illustrative of the problems of the church today, in my not-so-humble opinion. For instance... You know how hard it was for me to make a gift and put it in an envelope to send to Cambodia? Not that hard. You know how hard it is to pray for Chip and for Emmer while they're gone? Not that hard. I am all in and for them, but I'm staying here. I'm not going there. And if I went, I would stick out like a big old, well, it would be big. (laughs) And if they don't want Americans there, I'd be real obvious. And I like me. <laughs> so I'm going to stay here and I'm going to pray for Chiv, Because that's the easiest way to do it. You know what happens in the local church? A lot of people come to the local church and they love it and they worship. And they smile about it. And sometimes, sometimes in a hospital room or when they're cornered or when there's a long conversation, they can't get away from it. Somebody will bring up church. and they say, yeah, I, I go to First Methodist Church in Carrollton. And somebody said, well, that's nice. And then the conversation shifts to another topic. Not Jesus. Not First United Methodist Church. Because that is where we begin to get uncomfortable. Even y'all. This is a shock to me, by the way. By the way, this is a shock to your new bishop. Let me say something about the bishop. You know what the bishop found hard to believe as he began to look at First Church Carrollton? That a church like this, theologically, biblically, long history, would only have 14 professions of faith in a given year. He said, How's that possible? You know, I said, Only 14? I don't spend a lot of my time studying the conference journal. Uh, I don't do that. I don't have time for that. Uh, I spend time studying the journal about the church where I'm serving because I'm interested in all of the resources being put in the most important places in a church, wherever that needs to be, according to the congregation. Some congregations are reaching out like crazy. They're doing nothing in world missions. I get that. But you cannot do away with one part to do some other part. Every part is essential to the body of Christ. If we're going to be healthy, if we're going to be whole, if we're going to impact the world. So I didn't come here to help you increase missions, although that will probably happen. I didn't come here to help you increase worship, although I hope I'm able to add to it a little bit in some way. I didn't come here to help you increase Sunday school because it's great already percentage-wise, but I'll try to add to it in some way. I didn't come here to tell you how to do youth or or children's ministry, although I do enjoy doing it with them. It's fun. They're a lot more fun than you all are. See how quiet you are? Yeah, they're they're just never that quiet. You know, I mean, they're never that quiet, and they love to interact, and they love to laugh, and they love to have questions. They have questions. If you don't believe it, just don't go to youth group, because they'll show you. They have questions. Now, my question for you is simply this, and it is a question. I'm asking you if you're willing to engage. I'm asking you if you are willing to behave differently, and I know not all of you are. So don't lie to me. I'm not asking you to lie to me. I'm not trying to make you guilty and get you to make a commitment you won't follow through. I only need a hundred people. A hundred people is all I'm asking for. That would be about a fourth of y'all here today, I think. Only a hundred of you. You say, what do you want a hundred people to do? I want a hundred people to sign a card and join the Andrew Fishing Club that will be directly tied to the pastor who's going to be riding you with communications on a, on a weekly basis to encourage you to do what you're going to promise to do today. I'm going to give you hints. I'm going to give you illustrations. I'm going to celebrate victories with you. You say, uh, what's this Andrew Club going to do? This Andrew Club is going to promise in 2014 to invite every opportunity they get, somebody either to follow Jesus or to come to this church and visit and worship, with the end goal being that all of them who come will join this church in worship and in service, following Jesus and becoming a regular participant in this church's activities. I'm going to ask you to invite people all year long until two people have come and joined this church. Now, some of you are already thinking, because you're fast studies. Does that mean that our family of six can sign one card and together we'll get two? Nope, doesn't mean that at all. This is not a group plan. This is a you plan. It didn't say Andrew and his cousin went and found Peter. It says Andrew went and found Peter. It's a one-on-one deal when you're inviting somebody to church. You don't need a group. A group can happen to be there, and you might be the leadership, but only one of you gets credit. That's the one that's asking the questions. Will you come with me to First Methodist Church? I'd be glad to meet you. Would you come to my Sunday school party? Would you come to our music rehearsal? You, you sing beautifully. I just heard you. Now we want to give you a new song to sing. What did Jesus do? What are you looking for? He engaged their attention. How much time do I have? I don't have enough time, by the way, and I'm already out of time. But you know by now that doesn't mean a whole lot. This is a long sermon, but I'm not going to be here all day today. You know why? Because I'm not going to give you the privilege of backing out if Jesus is calling you. But don't you come forward if Jesus is not calling you. I don't have time for you on this subject. I'll get you on another subject. Trust me. I just need a hundred human beings who will invite so many people to come to this congregation in any way we meet, or who to tell so many people about Jesus they'll ask them where they go to church, so that we'll have two hundred new members in 2014, which will be four times the amount you've been taking in lately. How do you turn a church around? You get serious about it. Those disciples they left family. They left jobs. They dropped it all and immediately went to follow Jesus. Most people don't do that today in this world. They need somebody who will engage them as a friend, who will spend some time with them in their life, and gradually, little by little, unfold to them how important Jesus is to them. They need people who can love them. Now, if you don't really like people, much less love them that much, don't sign up because you're not a good representation for our church. I mean, you know, there were times in my life I didn't need to be inviting anybody to church because it just wasn't for me. But there are some of you, all, I, all, all, all Jesus told me to ask for is 100. Now, I thought about, well, 200, we'd have 400, Lord. We'd double this congregation. And he just quietly said, 100, Doug, 100. Obey what I'm asking you to do. And I said, okay, 100, I got it. So 100 of you. I have here 100 cards. Now I'm supposed to explain these cards. It says right here. These are for people who are willing to be invitational and engage the people in their lives. Not just cousins, not just neighbors. Might be people at work, might be people when you're hanging around the doctor's office. It can be anybody anywhere, anywhere. but you will begin a process that will be mentoring if they don't even know it. You're just befriending them. You're just willing to engage them. Now, I only have 100 cards here. I know it's just 100 because I didn't count them. Somebody else did. That would be Lauren. And you know Lauren, Lauren is thorough if nothing, that's for sure. So I have 100 cards here. I'm not going to get 200 members this next year by myself. But if you'll invite about four or 500 of them and the 300 of them will get here, I think about two of them will end up joining this church because we have it going on. We do. We have it going on. So I'm going to put some cards here. Now, when you do this is you take this card and you say, what is that card for? It says my invitation list. Every time you invite somebody, I want you to write their name down. You say, why would I do something like that? It's kind of silly, isn't it? How many people did you invite last year to church? Three, four? You know their names? You remember the first one you invited him? You will if you write their name down on this card and keep it in your Bible. You, know, you say, well, how many does it hold? Let's see. Let's see how many names Lauren got on here. You see, you're sure taking a long time to end this sermon because she's wanting to get out. It's only got eight. But the good thing is, we've got a print machine. We've got lots more of these. <laughs> so when you fill up eight invitations and only one of them have come to church, you'll kind of have a thought about what you need to do. One came to church and didn't join, and you invited eight. When you invite 16, two would come. Maybe that one will be the one that joins. It's like a business call. You may have to call on 10 to sell one person. So you say, well, that's a lot of asking. Yeah. It is. It's a lot of asking. How much does Jesus love you? Oh, yeah, that's right. He saved you forever, didn't he? Here's some of these cards right here. Now, until these are all gone, I don't have a hundred. But when they're all gone, that's when we get to go to lunch. (laughs) Of course, there's no pressure here. Now, when you sign up, in order for me to contact you and fulfill phase two, help encourage you and train you you need to print your name. Don't write it because I know how you write. I've seen some examples. Print your name on this tablet with your email at, at mailing address because you're going to become part of my Andrew, the, the Andrew Fishing Club, and you'll be hearing from me regularly because we're going to do this together. We want 200 members this year. I don't want 200 next year. Next year, I'll be wanting more. But this year, the Lord says 100, Doug. 100 members. And you say, I don't know if we can get 100. We can't unless we get started. We can't unless we're willing to make, obey the Lord and actually talk about our church in a positive way. Now, if you don't have something good to say about the church, don't fill out one of these cards. You say, you're getting almost tacky, preacher. Well, I'm hoping to be sure that I've awakened everyone before I leave today. Because I know there might be a rush on this altar as soon as I Quit talking and hand these out. But here's the catch. I'm not going to quit talking. So that means you get up when you feel led, to come pick out one of these cards, and you sign that tablet with your name and email address, and then I'll know you're one of the 100. Will this make a difference in the church? I promise you it will. I promise you it will. I promise you God will honor as surely as he honors your gifts that you placed on this rail for the trip to Cambodia. God will honor your commitment to make this church a reflection of the ministry of Jesus Christ. A foundational principle for us is not only being united in our ministries, but a foundational principle for us is we're going to develop a culture of calling. And a culture of calling will mean that probably 40 to 50 percent of this congregation now and always will be constantly on the lookout for someone they can engage Every spare minute you have, you're sitting in a dealership waiting on your car to get fixed. Who's sitting in there with you? Bring the conversation around to your life, your family, what they do. Oh, even your church. You say, well, somebody might not like that. That's okay. It'll do them good. They don't have to like it. But there might be somebody there who's looking for Jesus. Somebody there. Where you work, you think you can't say anything about Jesus? People used to tell me, you, if you don't, no, it's hard to do as a teacher because it's against the law. Maybe, but my wife was always one of my best recruits. And she taught for 32 years, and they never fired her. They probably missed several good chances. <laughs> but whenever you're working for Jesus, and you're just loving and caring about people and having a good time and inviting them to come to your church and have a good time with you, they not going to squeal on you. And if they do, they're probably the type of person that nobody will listen to anyway. All I'm asking you to do is talk to your neighbor. You say, well, I don't ever see my neighbors. Then I'm asking you to get out of your house and get some exercise. <laughs> the benefit of this is many fold. It will help your heart. You'll get slimmer. And you'll meet your neighbors. All you have to do is walk around the block. They'll be out there eventually. Now, if you walk at midnight, you'll be out there by yourself. And you will not be helping our cause. But if you will get out there any other time, you will run into people gradually. And you will talk to them about their yard and how you need a rain. You, you know how to do that well. You might even talk to them about the rangers and how they're winning the pennant. Don't bring up the cowboys. You know, we don't want to get losing on their mind. Let's bring out the rangers. Let's talk about something good. Let's talk about our children. You know, the things you're comfortable talking to them about. And then eventually, ask them what they found. Where do you go to the doctor? you have a good family doctor? Where do you go to? Oh, yeah, do you have a church? you go to church anywhere? Odds are probably one in two that they'll say no. Now, almost 80% of them will say they believe in Jesus. So just asking if they believe in Jesus won't get you very far. Y'all are probably pretty good at that. But you need to ask them, are you going to church anywhere? Because mo- half the people who say they love Jesus are not in his house. They have a problem, but they don't know it. People immediately followed Jesus because he was a stark contrast and he was in person. 2,000 years later, we have a harder job to do. We have to, by process, bring them together so that they can trust us. You know, you don't walk into a youth group and say, Hi, youth, I'm your new youth pastor. Do what I say and y'all will be great. Because y'all would say, What? (laughs) (laughs) Where are you taking us? What are we going to do? What are you all about? You know, that's what people are just like that. They're skeptical. That doesn't mean God doesn't want them to save. Now, I only got these last two points that I'm through about 4 o'clock this morning. I looked at the clock. I hadn't been sleeping much. I thought, man, this is going to be a long morning for (laughs) y'all. And finally, Jesus said, remember the verse, Doug? Remember the place in Scripture? And I never did remember it. I still don't today. And I couldn't find it this morning. I was too tired. But he said, remember how I said... Now that Jesus is not walking in the earth, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he will convict people of their sin and convince them of righteousness and draw them to me. And remember how in John 12, 32, I said, if i be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are already doing the encouraging. All we have to do is issue the formal invitation. Are you willing to engage people so that you can offer them an invitation to save their eternal soul? Are you willing? Are you willing? Then he said another scripture. I desire that all people would be saved. All people. I don't have the privilege of resting. Because my Savior is certainly not resting until everyone has had the chance to believe, until everyone has made the choice to believe. And with that, I got a little sleep. If we don't invite, we're never going to get to teach them so that they can discover Christ for themselves. If we don't establish their faith in the knowledge of the Scriptures, then we're never going to be ready to be equipped so that that might actually serve in the ministries of the church and out into the world. And if we don't ever equip them, then they're never going to really be empowered to go out and to be mission for Christ. To know that what they're doing has a purpose. But if we don't invite, they're not going to get to square one. Not now. Not when the next preacher comes. Not until Jesus comes back once again and invites them all himself. I know some of you don't have the gift of evangelism, so that means you need to be involved in the soft sell program. Inviting people to church is so easy. It's more difficult to invite them to understand their faith. It's more difficult to explain to them the intricacies of Scripture. you got to be prepared. you got to be prepared when something needs to be done. All it takes to be prepared is to love people. I know y'all love people. I know you want this church to grow. I don't know when the next person will come along after I leave, and I don't know when that will be, but I'll tell you this. I know this will work. Because it's worked everywhere I've been. I had a walking around ministry just like Jesus had it. I walked all over Salina. I walked to PTA meetings. I walked to football games. I walked to the post office daily. I walked to the drugstore. I walked everywhere the people gathered. And eventually, as we talked about the day, I invited them to First United Methodist Church, Salina. That was 25 years ago, somewhere like that. They have never grown much beyond that point until just recently again. Because people quit engaging people in conversation. I've seen some of you here, the most shy people, and you think you can't invite anybody. I'm not thinking about you, you're not not shy bone in your body. But some people think they're so shy they can't talk to anybody about church, they can talk to them about a recipe. They can talk to them about a football game. They can talk to them about the school their children are going to. In fact, they can talk to them about what they're having for supper. As long as you don't mention the Jesus word or the church word, they've got all kinds of conversation. All I'm asking you to do is just make a small tilt in your life so that every morning when your feet hit the floor, you think about that card you're carrying with you and whose name Jesus is going to present you with that day to invite and write their name on that card. You said, but well, they might not go. If you notice on that card, there's a place where that it says they actually attended church. And then there's another place on that place that we'll have a record of this in the office, by the way, if you're wondering if you're going to get credit, if you need credit. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit like a Baptist at this point. Yes, I've never been a Baptist. That's one of the things I've not experienced. I've been around a lot of them, living in Texas, but they know how to take count. So we're keeping score. here's what I believe. I believe if you invite enough people that two of them actually join next year, you won't ever quit inviting people the rest of your life. Because there's no joy like the joy of seeing some human being that doesn't know the joy of church find church and find Jesus together. There's nothing like that. It's better than golf, Gary. And Gary knows that. Oh, he's gone. Well, you can tell him I talked about him. There he is back there. All you other evangelism explosion lovers like Gary, it was great in 1970s. It's not worth a whole lot today, except that it always taught you to go out and seek people and find out where they were. Will you just do it? My goodness, I want to hear next year at annual conference, I want to hear the bishop say something about First United Methodist Church Carrollton getting 40 professions of faith. And I'm hoping, and I believe the bishop might actually ask me, how would that happen? And I would say the people engaged their community, and they asked people just to come to church. It's a lot easier easier than asking them to come to Jesus. Now, if you're brave, ask them to come to Jesus too, but determine where they are because a lot of them can't stand Jesus talk yet. But if you'll get them in this house, if you'll get them to visit, the odds are I'll get them with the Lord's help to come back. And sooner or later, together, they'll join this church because they want to have met a more loving place in their whole life. That should be the story of Carrollton. Then they can hear about our love around the world. They can hear about our love for each other. They can be hear about our love for holy living. Did I get rid of all those cards? Lord, I don't like you. No. That's a, a little too much honesty this morning, isn't there? Now here's what's going to happen. I believe in the number that the good Lord gave me. Uh, about that many left here. You're thinking, Are we really going to stay here to get all these cards before we go eat? <laughs> Take a look at me and ask yourself if I'd really do that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to lunch. Now, it looks like there's about, I'm going to guess, 30 cards still left. Now I'm tempted to tell some of you to come down and sign your name twice because you're going to get four, but I'm not going to do that. Since I believe the Lord's word looks to me like about 35 of you who were supposed to get a card hadn't got one yet. Now, I don't know who you are. I don't even know who got the cards, right? I'm just saying I'm leaving them down here. Are you willing? It's up to you.